welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, we're in a the middle of a passage that Paul is, is talking about uh, our conduct and, and how we live and, and how we conduct ourselves today. And, and this really is a call to be different. It's, it's a call to, to live apart from this world. And, and that's what we are. We're, we're as children of light, as saints, that's what we are. A saint literally means someone who is set apart. And, and we live this way uh, in part because it's meant to be a way to invite those who are, are struggling in the darkness, that we're meant to be a contrast and meant to be a way to show them life in Jesus and, and the, the peace that they're looking for. All, all this week, uh, as I reflected on last week and I thought about what we're going to be t- talking about today, I kept thinking about a, a passage in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And the Apostle John here makes a stunning comparison between the Old and the New Covenants by comparing the role of Moses and Jesus. And he says that for, for his fullness, speaking of Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Notice the contrast there. The law comes through Moses, but Jesus brings grace and truth. You see, what the law does, as we saw last time, was the law is meant to be a minister of death and condemnation. It's meant to beat people up. It's meant to to expose death and expose sin and even make it worse, not as a way to salvation, but to lead us to Jesus. And it's in Jesus that we find grace and truth, a grace that is loving, a, a grace that is protecting, that's caring and supporting, but it's also truth. And notice we don't balance law and grace. We don't balance Moses and Jesus. All we need is Jesus. And so we don't need to balance even grace and truth. They come together and they fit together. We need both. As Paul said earlier in this book, you know, we're to speak truth in love. The two of them are are not uh, opposed to each other. Now, last week we talked about immorality and impurity and greed and harsh words. and, And I know what I shared goes against the morality of our culture. And, and some, they might even have taken issue with what I had to say. But I, I, I want us to recognize that it's not what I had to say. It's not even what the church has to say. It's what our Father's word says. And see, our Father, he's given us these words, these commands, not to determine how Christian or how holy you are, how acceptable, how loved you are. It, it's not even a way to come to God for salvation because that would be the equivalent of, of getting cleaned up and then having a bath or a shower. That's not the point at all. These commands, they're meant to protect us. They're meant to care for us. Kind of like the story of of Pinocchio, right? You know the story where Geppetto, he tells Pinocchio to just go to school and keep his, kind of keep his head down that way. And then along comes the wolf who who pulls him away, right? He, he, He encourages him and tempts him to go to a place called Pleasure Island. And Pinocchio, he, he avoid, ignores his conscience, ignores the advice of Geppetto, his father. Instead, he goes to Pleasure Island where he has this great time, right? And you see all these young boys running around and they're smoking cigars and they're gambling and they're drinking and they're doing all kinds of stuff and, and you know, eating everything. And, and it's just this great time for, you would think, for little boys. But the longer they're there, 
the more trouble they get into. The longer they're there, they turn into a bunch of donkeys. We'll use that word, right? And it's a really a great picture of what sin is. You see, we're being tempted towards sin and in the reality, kind of like Pleasure Island, in the moment, sin feels good. Because if sin didn't feel good in the moment, no one would do it. The problem with sin is not in the moment, it's, it's afterwards. Afterwards, the, the death and the misery, and, and basically it turns us into a bunch of donkeys, say that one. And, and so what, what Father's Word is doing is he, he's protecting us with these commands, trying to help us to discern what Jesus is telling us, what Jesus is instructing us to. And, and that's what verse 10 was about, right? We're, we're called to learn or discern what is he inviting us to in that moment. And so the Christian life is not, not a bunch of rules that we live by in, in the moment. It's just walking with Jesus moment by moment, allowing Jesus to express his life through each and every one of us. So maybe think of it this way. Next time you're, you're sitting and you're watching a movie on Netflix or thinking about what to watch on Netflix or, or YouTube or music to listen to or, or even clothes to buy, just offer up a quick prayer and invite Jesus into that conversation, into that decision, and let him tell you whether this would be something that would be beneficial, productive, uh, helpful, edifying, or if it's going to be something that's going to be damaging for you. Now, this morning, before we, we get into this morning's passage, I, I want to I share my heart with you because this morning we're going to be dealing with a, a specifically a very difficult and very heavy topic. And it has the potential, I think, for the enemy to twist what I say and, and be used to, to hurt people, to cause guilt and shame upon you. And, and I, I want to start off our message with this reminder that as Romans 8.1 says, there is no, not one single condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That in Romans 5.9 says the wrath of God has already been poured out. And so there's no wrath remaining. And in Hebrews 10.14, by the one offering for all time, you and I have been made perfect. So I want you to know my heart. My heart is not to pour guilt, pour shame in any way. My heart is that we find healing that there would, be, there would be deep healing, some peace and some comfort from what Father wants us to talk about this morning. And I know what we're gonna talk about is, is part of people's past, that the people watching this have gone through this and experienced this. And, and so please understand, I'm not here to get you. I'm not here to hurt you. I, I want you to know God's love and God's comfort as, as a result of this. So let's, let's read our passage this morning. So we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Paul here writes, he says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says... Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we're about to embark on a, on a journey this morning, on a passage that has the potential for great healing, but also the potential to be twisted by our enemy that caused deep hurt. And that's not my heart, nor is it your heart. You want people to know your love. You want people to know your comfort and your care. And so I pray that, that you will guard my tongue, that you will lead my thoughts, 
and that you will allow us to hear from you this morning and that we would all be engaged to experience healing from this, but also, Father, that that you would show us how, how we're to call to action, how we get to play a part in what you're doing uh, in this world. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going we're gonna to take a look at um, the passage as, as a bit of a whole. And, and so Paul, Paul starts the passage here in, in, uh, in verse 11, kind of repeating himself really with this, um, this call not to be a partaker. And so in verse 12, he, he goes on talking about these, the, that we're not to be partakers of these deeds of darkness. And he describes these deeds as being so horrific that just speaking about what's happening in the darkness is so appalling which is why they're happening in secret. Because if the truth ever came out, if it was ever seen for what it is, there, there would just be simple, you know, such horror. But what do we do with these deeds? What do we do with all this darkness? There's a, there's a very famous quote that says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And, and so what, what Paul writes here is, is we're not to do nothing. Instead, what we're to do is we're to expose these things, to, to drag it into the light, because in the light, there can be healing. See, in our, in our world, sunlight is a great disinfective. It, in, in bringing evil and bringing sin into the light, it's, it's the first step to allowing Jesus to bring that freedom, to bring that healing. I mean, think about uh, many, many, you know, decades now ago, the, the truth and reconciliation that took place in South Africa after the apartheid there. It wasn't meant to be a forum where we figured out who to blame, who do we shame, and who do we hang. In, in, instead, what it was meant to be, it was meant to be a, a place where people could just open up and share, this is what happened, this was my role, and this is my involvement, and in order for the truth to come out. That was the truth part, so that changes could be made, but that there could be forgiveness that leads to reconciliation. And that forgiveness meant that they weren't going to hold those people to account anymore. We're going we're to release that, that burden so we can move forward and there could be change. And so that's our goal. That's our goal whenever we expose that evil is so that, again, not that we can know who to blame, who do we shame, and who do we hang. The goal is to bring it out to the truth so that there can be forgiveness, there can be reconciliation to God and the freedom and the life that comes there. Now, please understand, our, our goal is not to somehow fix the culture. Our, our goal is not somehow to create some kind of utopia here on planet Earth. I, I don't think that's our goal at all. Instead, our goal is meant to be more, uh, more individual in terms of one-on-one impacting our neighbors, impacting our family members, impacting our coworkers, that in loving them, we're influencing them, we're leading them to know who Jesus is, and ultimately Jesus brings that change in their heart. And as that person changes, then another person changes, then another person changes. And if enough people change, then that's going to change society. But it's a bottom-up, not a top-down change. I mean, think about some examples of that where would be examples such as Will, William Wilberforce over in England. 
He 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 led the the abolition of slavery in the British colonies and in the British Empire as a whole, and and he was very much led by his his Christianity, by his faith in God, to know that all men, all women were equal, and that it was wrong to own someone as property. Or the Underground Railroad, where that that many Canadians and people in, in northern USA were operating to lead slaves from the south to freedom here in Canada. Again, it was their Christian faith that was leading that. Or or the Reverend Martin Luther or, or Martin uh, Luther King Jr. And I add that Reverend title because you know long before he was a civil rights leader, he was a Reverend. He was a pastor. And before that, he was he was a Christian. You see, that's that's what drove him. And, and because he was trusting in Jesus, he was able to lead a movement that changed people's hearts that eventually could change the culture. But it started with a bottom-up, not a top-down approach. And I think that's what we're supposed to do. And so we're going we're gonna to put it into practice. We're going we're gonna to apply what this passage is saying, that we're going to expose some of those deeds of darkness. We're going to drag them into the light Again, not to blame, not to shame, not to hang, but so that we can now begin to bring freedom. And, and there are all kinds of different topics we could talk about this morning, right? We could talk about the bigot, bigotry and the prejudice that, that it, we see in racism or, or sexism of any kind and, and how wrong that is. Or, uh, you know, what we're discovering, right, happening now in long-term care homes and that, that COVID has exposed and, and all the condition that elderly people are living in. We could talk about the Me Too movement that we saw last year and how exposed many people in Hollywood, uh, but also in boardrooms and even in the church. Then there's the ever-present child abuse that's going on that we see that, you know, that's widespread. That was in the Catholic church, was in the residential schools here in Canada in the past, um, but it even happened even more so because of all the lockdown restrictions that we're under. Then there's the human and sex trafficking that we could talk about where the thousands of girl, girls and boys are sold into bondage to the people like, like Jeffrey Epstein every year, where they become sexual toys for people. And, and then, you know, I think churches right now, they're trying to talk about how we can't gather together on Sunday mornings. Personally, I don't think that's worth talking about. There are so many other ones to talk about. And, and really what, what that does is it, 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 mis, it misrepresent what church is about. It's not about Sunday mornings. We're, we're the body of Christ that gets to operate and, and offer ourselves to as a body, as a group of people, as a community. And that's much bigger than what happens on a Sunday morning. And, and I think my fear is it comes across as very selfish. So that's one we're not going to be talking about. But long, long before this week, I've known for many, many months what the issue that God wanted to bring up the issue that God wanted to talk about this morning. And, and the issue is, is abortion. Now, I, I know that that's a, a hot button issue. And <clears throat> I want to start with talking to those who've had an abortion. <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> again, I want you to know that my heart is not to shame you. I don't, I don't want to condemn you. I don't want you to feel beat up by this. Um, and I know that there are people watching this this morning or watching the replay of this who've had an abortion or been a part of one. See, keep in mind, it's not just the moms. There were fathers. 
There were family members and friends who might have encouraged it. There were the doctors, the, the nurses that participated in it. There's a lot of people here. And, and my hope in talking about it is that we can be honest and we can face this and find healing, find a way forward. Now, again, I'm going to warn you here. We're, we're going to do exactly what the scriptures asked us to do, which is expose it. That means we're going to have to have an honest and open, and I would say a difficult conversation about it. And so if you got little kids around right now, uh, you may want to <clears throat> you may want to pause this. You may want to watch this message later when they're in bed, or you may want to ask them to go and do something else because they may not be ready to hear it. Quite frankly, I'm not ready to hear it. Remember what, what Paul said, these are things that are are so shameful even to talk about. And I don't know anything more dis, more accurately described than than ta- the topic of abortion. Now, I've seen people say, well, why talk about abortion when there's so many other issues like, you know, homeless and the poor and, and, and the disadvantaged inequality? Let's deal with that and then we'll talk about abortion. But I don't know why, why we have to do one or the other. We don't need to, to do one over the other. And quite frankly, I don't know of a, of a, of a victim in greater need than that child. And, and so it's our calling to stand up and protect the vulnerable. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to protect the vulnerable. And those are the unborn babies, but it's also the moms and the dads as well. So let's look at a couple of verses in, in, in the scriptures that talk about this call to justice. You know, Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, it says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice? to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Which is a reminder that no one's above sin. Or Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And just so we're clear, this is just Old Testament verses. Even in the New Testament, Jesus wrote this. He says, But woe to you Pharisees, to you religious ones, you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have been done without neglecting the others. So it's not a matter of picking and choosing. We just need to defend the vulnerable and stand up for them because they need us to. So we're going to start with a, a brief history of abortion, specifically in Canada. And, and kind of understand how we got here, right? So abortion is not new. It's been, it's been going on for a long, long time. It goes all the way back to ancient times. When back then, they would sometimes take certain herbs or, or drink particular concoction of teas where they put all kinds of crazy things hoping to induce an abortion. Um, sometimes if the, the gender didn't match what they wanted, so they had a girl and they wanted a boy, they would discard that baby by throwing that baby on a garbage heap and leave it there to die. And that still happens in some form today with sex-selective abortions, where, where somehow one gender, often boys, are valued over girls, and, and if you don't get that boy you wanted, then they would have an abortion and, and eliminate that girl. Now, in Canada, abortions go back to before we were in a country, back to 1803, when we were still a colony of the British Empire. 
and and then uh, abortion was only restricted under certain cases, but allowed in others. Until 1837, sorry, when there was a full of prohibition on abortion, that all abortion was, was considered illegal. Uh, this didn't obviously prevent every abortion, it just made the abortions that were happening illegal. And then two years after Canada became a country in 1869, uh, there was a formal ban placed on abortion. And that just sat there on the books for 100 years until 1969, when the, the justice minister at the time, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, uh, he enacted, um, uh, changed the law to allow for a provision of abortion could happen if the mother's life was in danger based on the opinion of three doctors. So three doctors would form a panel and they could decide whether that abortion could take place. Now, four years later in the US, 1973, we have the famous Roe v. Wade, which allowed the abortion. That's where the Supreme Court of the United States struck down the abortion law in, Canada, in the US. And it wasn't until 1988 that Canada followed suit, where Dr. Henry Morgenthaler, he challenged the abortion laws in Canada, and that's when the, the Supreme Court struck down the law. And since then, there, is no, there are no laws on the book in Canada um, in, the, in the law books of Canada regarding abortion. And, and I believe we're the only developed nation in the world that that's the case. Uh, if not, we're one of very few where there are no zero laws around abortion. And what that means is someone can legally have an abortion at any point in time during their pregnancy. Now, currently in, in the four major political parties that kind of run across the nation, uh, three of the political parties would prevent you from running in their, as a candidate in their party if, if you have uh, a pro-life or, or if you're against abortion. Only one party in Canada allows you to have either, uh, either choice or, or, or he hold either view. But this is not a left-right issue. It's not a political issue. This is one of, of right and wrong. It's one of morality. It's one of good versus evil. And that's how we need to see it. And I think, unfortunately, it's too often seen as a political issue, but it's not. Now, it's been famously said by Bill Clinton, the former president of the United States, that, that abortions ought to be safe, legal, and rare. Well, let's kind of think about that. Legal, well, it is legal, so that's check. Safe. Keep in mind that a successful abortion always ends in a death. And rare. Well, let's see how rare it is in Canada. So some statistics. This is all available on the, the government websites. Um, as you would expect, before 1970, there were no abortions or at least none tracked because none of it was legal. And so after 1970, when they introduced that panel to allow it, the abortions began to increase. Um, and then they kind of plateaued up until uh, starting in 1989. So that was after the Supreme Court decision in 1988. It began to increase. And then from 1990 onward, it's been pretty stable, where we've averaged from 1990 to 2018, the last year that the statistics were available, we've been averaging around 100 or just over 100,000 abortions a year in Canada. That's 100,000 deaths every year. That's, that's five times greater than what we see in COVID or from COVID. And, and keep in mind the, the lengths we've gone to 
to defend and protect the vulnerable, those who are 60 and older, those in long-term cares. We have, we have stopped the world. We're staying at home. We're doing everything we can, spending billions and billions of dollars to save these people. But so little is done to protect the most vulnerable. Now, when you, when you add up the number of abortions from 1970 to, to 2018, over, over 4.1 million, over 4 million babies have been aborted in Canada. And, and that, what that means is since, since 1990, uh, about one in five pregnancies, not including the miscarriages, but, but one in five pregnancies uh, end in an abortion. You know, they, they say that um, one death is a tragedy, but millions of deaths are just a statistic. And um, I don't want us to lose sight of what we're talking about. And that's why we're going to do this in a, in a way where we're exposing it, we're dragging it to light. But again, we're not here to beat anyone up. Now, the... The argument for abortion, um, you know, there's there's many, and, and let's kind of address some of them. And and the first one is, well, what about in the case of rape? You know, what do we do then when a woman is raped and, and gets pregnant from that? Well, just so we're clear, that in the U.S. at least only happens about 1% of the time. 1% of all abortions are a result of rape. And so that's such a, a small number. Uh, but even then... Couple things. Why? Why would we punish the sins of uh, of the father? Why would we punish the child? And and many mothers who have elected not to have an abortion have actually said that that having a child was healing, that it was redemptive, that 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 God was able to take such a horrific moment of violation and offer them a gift of a child, and and they found it to be actually something that was healing. Now, another argument, and, and often happens, is, is we, we can, through ultrasounds, we can discover there's something maybe not healthy about this child. Maybe the child has, has Down syndrome or something else with that child. And so an abortion would take place then. But, but some of the most beautiful people in this world are born with mental handicaps, mental disabilities. My sister's one of them. And, and she has... She has made it, obviously, she's made it very difficult on my parents in particular to care for her, to look after her. But every one of us would say, without a doubt, that she's the greatest blessing that, that God could ever give our family. I came prepared. Um, <clears throat> another argument that's made is... Uh, they, they, they want only wanted children, no unwanted child. And, and here's the problem with that argument is, is we don't actually involve the child in that discussion. We don't give them the right to choose. Listen to these names. Tim Tebow, Cher, Celine Dion, Jack Nicholson, Brooke Shields, Steve Jobs, and even Justin Bieber. All of them would not be here today if their moms listened to the advice that they were given and they had an abortion. Thankfully, 
Thankfully, it didn't happen. In fact, in Steve Jobs' case, his mom had him and gave him up for adoption. And he went on to live. And his impact on this world is undeniable. Because he was given a choice. He was given the opportunity. Well, what about medical issues with the mom? That it becomes a choice of who survives. And in that case, I think you can make an argument there. But, but none of those are really the issue. Majority of the abortions don't happen under those conditions. The, the main argument there is it's, it ought to be a woman's right to choose because it's, it's her body. And, and the government or, or nobody else ought to dictate what happens to a woman's body. And what's interesting is you, you, you listen to, to women who've had an abortion and are thankful that they had one. The most common argument or common response is that it just wasn't the right time. I was too young, or uh, my career was just getting started. Um, I wasn't ready for it. And so it was all about their choice. But that, that argument distracts from the real issue here. Because, because what about the rights of the child? Don't they have rights? And, and I guess maybe the question is, well, when, when does that child become a child? When do, they, when do they become a person? And so that's what we're going to try to answer this morning. And we're going to try to look at it from a, from a biblical perspective, from a scientific perspective, and from a moral perspective. And, and I think that question, our society has been afraid to answer and address. They run from it uh, because it's pretty clear once you see uh, what it is, that this is a child. And to, to terminate that pregnancy because it's not convenient for you at the moment, um, it's not right. So let's look at it from a biblical perspective. And in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, David writes this. He says, For you formed me in my inward parts, you wove me together. You wove me in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it well. See, God, God weaves us. God forms us. He makes us in our mother's womb. Jeremiah says the same thing in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah, God says. And before you were born, I consecrated you, I set you aside, and I have appointed you as a prophet to my nations. See, God, God's recognized the person in that womb. And what's interesting is David says, my soul knows it well. Society knows it well, which is why we don't, we don't call it a baby or a child. We, we call it other names. We call it a fetus. It's just a, a group of cells, just a, a mass or a, a lump of tissue. Because we can't, we can't acknowledge what it really is. And then, and then there's in Luke chapter 1, verse 44, where, where Elizabeth meets Mary. Elizabeth is the mother of John the Baptist and Mary the mother of Jesus when, when both are pregnant. And, and Elizabeth, she cries out, Behold, when the sound of your greeting, speaking to Mary, reached my ears, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in my womb for joy. 
John the Baptist heard Mary, and he knew. That's, that's evidence of a life. That's evidence of a person. Well, that's, that's a biblical argument. But we can't expect everyone and to honor and recognize the biblical argument. So, so let's, let's, look, let's look at it scientifically because I believe in science. I have science degrees and I know the understanding the power of science. And so let's see it from a scientific perspective. And please understand that our science understanding and our technology and our abilities have come a long way since 1988 when we struck down the laws of abortion. I mean, think about it this way. In 1988, cell phones were the size of a brick. Some of them came with a suitcase for a battery. And now, now our cell phones are far multitudes more powerful than the computers that sent man to the moon and back. So our technology has come from a long way and our understanding of what's happening has come from a long way. So here's the, the scientific development of that, of that child, of that baby. Now, a, a woman's pregnancy is actually tracked from the moment of the beginning of her menstruation period, which means that uh, when, she's, when she actually gets pregnant, she's already about you know, two or three weeks pregnant. And, and at that moment, the, the sperm is gonna fertilize the egg when they meet in the woman's fallopian tubes. And that's the moment of conception. And as soon as that happens, the, the sperm and the egg are combined and they become a zygot. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, but at this point, the zygot now contains all the DNA of that child. Think about that. At the moment of conception, the DNA is hardwired into those, that cell. That means the hair color, the eye color, the skin tones, the, uh, the type of body, the, the shape and so forth, the the, the type of things that that person is going to be, you know, um, predisposed to, whether it be diabetes or heart disease or, or, or all those things, all of that is hardwired into that baby in that moment. You see, this is not just the potential of human life. This is a life. Now, that ziggit is going to be traveling down the fallopian tube all the while um, it, is, it is multiplying and dividing its cells. And, and I heard that the moment of that conception, when they've, when they've actually seen it, they said there's a flash of light. Now, by week five, the ziggit now is called an embryo, and it's, it's sort of taken root within the, the mother's womb here, the uterus, and now it's beginning to form. It's forming blood cells. It's forming kidney cells and nerve cells. The brain's baby, spinal cord, heart, and, and even its intestinal tract, all of that is starting to form. And by week six, we can actually hear and see a regular heartbeat of that baby. That's all by week six. That's, that's the time when, when women are starting to think, maybe, maybe I'm pregnant. Let's, let's keep going, though, because let's look at it from a moral perspective now. And again, this is, this is hard to talk about. 
this was hard to to study and 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 watch and watch videos and read accounts on, but but it's important to to expose it, to drag it into the light. And again, I'm not here to beat anyone up. But most abortions in Canada take place before the 13th week of pregnancy. Now, by this time, the child has long, skinny limbs, has eyes and eyelids and ears. It's it's got hands and feet. Its head is about half the size it's going to be at the time of birth. They got fingers and, and even nails on their fingers. Their, their liver is already making red blood cells and their genitals have even appeared. So we know what sex it is. And we can even see what the face is going to look like on a 3D ultrasound. And science, science has even discovered because of those nerve cells that babies can feel pain. That's, that's significant because of the way that this child is going to be aborted is, is barbaric. If the pregnancy is still in the first trimester at this point, the, the child is going to be sucked through a tube that's about the size of a finger. And so basically this tube is an overpowered vacuum that is inserted into the vagina and into the uterus and they turn it on and they just suck it out. And in the process of being sucked out, that little child is torn into pieces. If the, if the pregnancy is in the second trimester, so after 13 weeks and beyond, then the child is slowly dismembered as the doctor reaches in there with forceps and violently rank, yanks the limbs off bit by bit. Before then, it, it disembowels it, crushes the head, and pulls it out in pieces to then reassemble it to make sure it got it all. I won't, I won't tell you how it knows when the, bot, when the, when the head is crushed. And then, and then there's the very late-term abortions, even after-birth abortions. That's right, after-birth abortions. I'm not being dramatic. This is happening. And I know it's happening because uh, just this last year, I think it was last year, the governor of Virginia, a man named Ralph Northam. Now, Ralph Northam is a medical doctor as well as being a governor. I believe his, he's a, a brain surgeon, but he is a medical doctor. And he was on a radio program. And I've, it's available. You can find it yourself. And he was, they talked about abortion. It came up after talking about roads and everything. And there was a, a bill before them about abortion. And, and it was, they were concerned about late-term abortions and what that would mean. And here's what the governor said. He said, I know how this will go emphasizing his, his experience as a doctor. So they know how it will go. The baby will be born and it will be cared for and made comfortable. And then we'll have a discussion with the mom as to what to do. The baby's born at that point. And then we're going to talk about what to do. That's, 
that's now not an abortion, that's infanticide, which is just a fancy term for murdering a baby. And, and I don't know what was more disturbing, watching him say that or having no reaction from the interview. So when, when do we decide when that person is a person? from a, a biblical, scientific, and moral perspective. It has to be from conception. And we need to protect that child all the way even after birth, apparently. And here's what's really interesting. That governor of Virginia, he, he, in that same interview, he made the point that he's a member of the local Baptist church. So if you're wondering why I'm still even talking about this and why I'm making the case for what abortion is, that's why. Because we're going to practice what this passage is telling us to, to drag, to expose the darkness, to bring it into the, to the light, that we would awake, O oh sleeper, that we would arise up and let the light of Jesus shine on this. Because you know what fuels abortion more than anything? It's denial. It's, it's, it's ignoring what it is. That's what society wants us to do. Don't talk about it. Let's only talk about the rights of the mom. But what about the rights of that child? It's more than just a fetus. It's more than just a lump of tissue or a mass of cells. It's a child. And that denial hurts everyone. And it, it's what makes more abortions happen. So many, many moms don't even know what's happening. And, and when they find out what actually an abortion is and what happened, they have, they have great regret over what have happened. And if they'd only known, they wouldn't have done it, they say. And then there are those who, because we've denied it, they can't actually heal from it. They're not allowed to grieve it. Because how, how are you grieving something that didn't exist in your mind? And, and so the, you get trapped in this, this, this mental cognitive dissonance. I remember, remember counseling a lady who she never could overcome the abortion she had. She struggled with suicide. She couldn't even connect to her own kids because she had to kill a part of her, her heart as a mom in order to abort her, her child so she couldn't connect with those other children because to connect to those kids and be a mom to those kids was a further reminder of what it, she did to that other child. And so we need to be honest so that we can heal from it. So here's what we do then. First, I want to talk to you who've, who've been a part in abortion to your moms, to you, to your dads, friends, family members, or if you've been involved in the medical side of it, I want to talk to you and know that, that you are loved still. You see, nobody wants to have an abortion. I mean, nobody, nobody sets out to get pregnant just so they can have an abortion. Those, those 4 million deaths that have happened in Canada since 1970 they represent four million stories of desperation and pain. 
and we want to we want to heal you. We want you to know freedom because here's the truth. If if Jesus is your savior, then you are going to see that baby one day. One day there's going to be a reunion in heaven because that's what that baby is today. That baby is in heaven, thankfully no longer struggling, no longer hurting. And it will be a glorious reunion, I promise you. Where there'll be no tears of sadness, maybe tears of joy, but no tears of sadness. But we don't have to ignore that child till then. Let's, let's acknowledge that child. That child was a person. A person that didn't get didn't get named. Didn't get to grow up and and experience the that joy of the first steps and, and running and the thrill of running and swimming and jumping and playing. Didn't get to have the butterflies of, of being attracted to somebody and having a crush and going on a date. Didn't get to graduate from school and get a job and the thrill of driving for the first time and getting married and having, a ch having children of their own. So we need to acknowledge the existence of that child. And I want you to know that Jesus can fix anything. He can heal anything. And he's forgiven everything. In Psalm 103.12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your trans our transgressions from us. East and west. The distance is infinity. He's taken it away. In Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. See, Jesus has died for that sin. That's why we don't have to be condemned why there's no wrath. Instead, I want to offer you the opportunity to experience healing and compassion from Jesus, but it means dealing with it. And I have walked many people through the healing of having an abortion. We can't undo it. We can't, we can't somehow reverse it in any way, but you can have freedom now and excitement now until you meet that baby that boy or a girl. And so I want to, I want to invite you to contact us. I, I would love to meet with you and talk with you about it. Or, or another counselor or someone else. But I also want to apologize to you for the horrible job the church has done in loving those who've walked out of a clinic after an abortion. See, too often the church is just has been mean and cruel, trying to protect those loved ones, but it's not our, our mission. Our mission is to act in love. Our mission is to, to love everyone, even those who have been caught up in an abortion. Because that those are not our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Right? It's not flesh and blood. It, it's not even, it's not the people who, who are a part of an abortion. It's not the moms. It's not the dads. It's not the people in the medical community. So it's, it's horrific that people used to bomb abortion clinics or threaten the doctors. That's horrific. That is not of Jesus. 
it's horrific to attack those who or even are championing abortion. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is spiritual forces. That's who we're up against. And we're called to love our neighbor, even those who are have or have been a part of or continue to be a part of an abortion. So what, what can we do? Because my, my fear is that this will just be a one-off message. And I don't want it to be that. It's got to be more than just a one-off message. And so, you know, one option could be, you know, write your MP or MPP and join the, the marches that happen on, on Parliament Hill. But to be honest, I think that's probably the least effective thing that we could do. Because that... That doesn't help people. That's that's trying to change a law that is will be a top-down effect. And remember, I think we're called not to not to try to fit society within a law. That doesn't work that way. We need to start from the from the bottom up. And and really, I want you to hear it this way. This is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for the church. It's waiting for us, waiting for us to 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 use this opportunity to share the good news, to share the gospel. And that's our mission of a church. It's to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus Christ and to shower these people who are in such a desperate spot. Because everybody who's considering having an abortion is scared. They're overwhelmed. They're frightened. And here's our opportunity to shower them with the love of God and hopefully lead them to Jesus if they don't know Jesus, or lead them to the experience, the community that the church is meant to be to protect them. So here's, here's the first thing I wanna say. It's our biggest weapon, it's prayer. See, too often we think of prayer as, the, as, as our last resort, that all I can do is pray for you, but it's our first, it's our greatest weapon. Think about the story in the Old Testament where, where Joshua is leading Israel into battle, but there's Moses and he's praying for them. And, and I think it was Aaron and Miriam, his, his brother and sister were holding his arms up praying because as his arms went down, Joshua started to lose the battle. But as his arms were up, he was winning. So we need to pray. We need to pray for everyone involved. We can do more than that. We, we have a, a few different pregnancy centers in our area. There's one called the Beginnings in the Guelph area, and then there's the, the pregnancy center in Kitchener-Waterloo that is, is led by a friend of ours, a friend of many of ours, a lady named Jen Holbrook. She's the, the executive director there. Before her, actually, was another friend of ours, Marine Dinner. And, and both of these are fueled out of their faith. To, to have these, these pregnancy centers and, and maybe we can, we can join forces with them and we can support them financially. I, as someone who, who leads multiple nonprofits, money helps, but money's not the greatest thing. And talking with Jen, she made that very clear that there is so much more that we can do beyond money, so much greater things we can do. And, and so donating uh, baby wipes and diapers and formula because they love to help these moms that decide to, to carry on and with the pregnancies and, and, and look after them beyond that. 
but maybe even join their agency, join these, these organizations with mentors. Jen was telling me what they love to do is have these, pair these young moms up with mentors, people who can walk with them and support them the whole time. Now, here's, here's what I love about, about you know, places like the Pregnancy Center is that I, I heard stories that what they would do is, is they can't make these ladies, these moms, to, to not choose an abortion. It's not their choice, quite frankly, and they don't live with the consequences of their choice. And I know that as a counselor, I can't tell people what to do. It's not my, it's not my choice to make. It's their choice to make. All I can do as a counselor is give you options and inform you of your choices. And that's what they're doing here at the pregnancy center, which means that some of these moms are choosing an abortion. But I heard stories of what these, these, these mentors would do is they would actually even go with them to the abortion and they would walk with them afterwards. And you know why that's so beautiful? Because that's what Jesus is doing. Because do you know where Jesus is in that abortion room? When that baby is dying a violent death, he's right there. And he's with those who walk out of the abortion. And, and we can be that too. We can be the church that loves them before the abortion and loves them even greater afterwards. Because that's our mission. Listen to this, John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, Jesus says, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men, all ladies, all the world will know that you're my disciples, that you're my followers, if you have love for one another. How we love everyone involved, how we love that baby, how we love those moms, those dads, those doctors, how we love those who are against us. That's our calling. That's our mission. Arise, O sleeper. Wake from the dead. And let the light of Jesus Christ shine. Father, move us to action. Move us to be a part of this in some way, somehow. And Father, the only person that knows what we're supposed to do is you. And so Jesus, I, I ask that you make it clear to us because everyone's going to do something different. Some will pray. Some will pray a lot. Some will be moved to give financially and others will be moved to join the organizations. And others will just... Just love friends. And others will be there to help put back the, the pieces of a broken heart for those who've been a part of an abortion. But don't let us be people who forget and live in denial. 
I thank you, Jesus, that even this sin, you've forgiven. And you've made us righteous and pure. Because what you did on the cross was enough. In your holy name. You have been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.